Hello, and welcome to Teaching River. And this is the first actual episode. And, uh, River, how you doing, my darling? You are 1,253 days old. Uh, your next birthday is in 208 days. And you're 26 in dog years and 30 in cat years, as apparently this app wanted to tell me. So, uh, we are going to do, uh, the speed of light. This episode is certainly fact. Um, coming soon will be an episode that is, uh, very much so opinion. Um, and as I stated, I will be, you know, giving the disclaimer beforehand. So this is fact. This is very well researched, very heavily, at least about 10 hours of research I put into it. So you can, uh... But if I do get anything wrong, maybe District Attorney Ben is listening and he can uh, chime in and tell me what I did get wrong. But I, I think I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Hey, River. All right. So uh, the increase of scientific knowledge lies not only in the occasional milestones of science, but in the efforts of the very large body of men and women who, with love and devotion, observe and study nature. A quote by Polycarp Cush. Polycarp. Push, Kush, <laughs> nailing it straight <laughs> off the bat here. Um, I did modify that quote. It said a very large body of men. I wanted to put in women because I think that should be, in, we should be inclusive in science. Um, so science, we're going to talk about the speed of light. What do you know about the speed of light? Not very much. Okay. If there is anything, what is it? What do you know? Tell me. Um, I know that it moves, I think it's 186,000 miles per, per second. Pretty that, close. That's about as much as I know about that. All right. So let's start. The speed of light is 186,282 miles per second. For our uh, European pieces of trash, it is uh, 2,999,000. Uh, <laughs> 792 kilometers per second in um and in theory nothing can travel faster than the speed of light and i say in theory because uh you know um there are some interesting theories i'll talk about later go ahead i actually have a question about that because okay. i don't know if it's been proven or disproven particles certain particles we'll get to that later okay um let's write lay a little lay the groundwork first. Um, so to put it in perspective, in miles per hour, the speed of light is a shitload. It's <laughs> um, 670 million, 616,629 miles per hour. Um, if you could travel at the speed of light, you can go around the earth 7.5 times in a second. Um, and uh, the Whenever I'm talking in this episode about the speed of light, that is the speed of light in a vacuum. I'm not going to, uh, you know, say that every time. So that's just whenever I'm talking about it, it's in a vacuum in, in space because there is variations through mediums of air and, you know, um, objects like crystals and shit like that. But uh, in most of the time, we'll be talking about it in a vacuum. Um, and uh, the Earth is round. Um, I'm hoping by the time River is listening to this, we're not going to have that fucking discussion. Um, but just a quick little side note, the Earth is, uh, at the equator is 3,963 miles. That's 6,378 kilometers for the non-winners. 
um, according to NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Um, however, at you know the uh, uh, the Earth isn't perfectly round; it's like an oblate object. Um, and at the polar radius, is it's three thousand nine hundred and forty-nine miles, about a difference of fourteen miles. Just a fun little side note. So, why does the speed of light matter? What do you think? I honestly don't know. Okay, fair. That's it's actually an incredibly important thing. And um, being that I'm going to be talking a lot about physics on this, um, you know, I felt as if this was probably the best episode to start with. It's a fascinating journey of how uh, we did figured it out before computers. And, um, it, you know, this lays the groundwork for what's to come, you know, the higher level stuff. Um, but so the speed of light matters. Um, the speed of light is in scientific equations is denoted as C. Uh, which stands for constant, uh, because in the wild universe, nothing stays at, a, you know, a specific state throughout, you know, um, reality as we know it. There's, there's, you know, nothing but the speed of light is standard. Every, you know, particles are different everywhere. They react differently. Um, time, space, matter, subatomic particles all fluctuate their state of being, and light does not. Uh, one could say that it's about the only fact that we're certain of in the universe. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about some really cool shit near the end. Um, also, the speed of light led to one of the greatest and most influential scientific discoveries in the modern era, the theory of relativity. I will certainly have an episode on those uh, general and special relativity, but in, in short, Einstein postulated that space and time are linked entities. And most importantly, space and time are relative to the observer, meaning your space and time is different from mine because we're, you know, in different, uh, ma the mass of, of the object we're on is affecting, there will cause fluctuations in, in time that we're going through, um, leading to why you're so much older than me. <laughs> Fuck you, dear. <laughs> yeah. Meaning, uh, so, the, you know, this, this means uh, the faster or slower you're traveling through space, the, and the more or less gravity is affected upon you, um, time fluctuates. This is an incredible oversimplification, um, but we don't need to, you know, get go that far into it, but we will definitely do that at a later time. But what you need to know is Einstein's theory of relativity makes certain important statements about the speed of light in a vacuum, which are the speed of light in a vacuum is 186,282 miles per second. Um, and and the, again, in a vacuum uh, through a transparent, transparent medium like air, water, and glass, um, depending on the uh, refraction index of the object that it's going through, it does go a little bit slower. Nothing at all can travel faster than the speed, of, or the speed of light in a vacuum. The speed of light in a vacuum is constant. This means that the speed of light is exactly the same value for observers traveling at different speed. Remember how I just said that you know time and space yes. fluctuates based on the amount of speed and mass um, upon your observation light. You could be going, you know, it doesn't matter. It's always that's that's the the amazing thing about uh, the speed of light. Um, no matter 
what you're doing, where you are, what you're doing, light does not fluctuate in space. The speed of light is the only fact, as I said earlier, like fact, 100% that we know for sure in this universe. And um, so the history of it. Uh, how do you think, if I were to ask you to figure out the speed of light, <laughs> um, how do you think we as a, as you know um, a society went about it? I don't know. Okay, um, so it's it's a fucking fascinating tale. Um, so the first known discourse on the speed of light comes from the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, who penned his disagreement with another sci scientist philosopher called Empedocles. Empedocles is a dope-ass motherfucker. Um, so Empedocles argued that because light moved, it must take time to travel. And he did this by like he would see a shadow and move his arm and he'd see like, you know, it, it, it's there's a little bit of a latency there. So in his um, writings, he said that it must it must uh, have have time uh, that affects affects it. And Aristotle believed that l light traveled instant instantaneously. And um, I don't think when I was reading about this and researching, it was kind of hard to tell exactly um, you know, how this went down, but, um, you know, Empedocles was born a hundred years before Aristotle. So Empedocles wrote the shit down in his journal and, you know, um, Aristotle disagreed and it, about a hundred years, I'll say. Uh, so more about this dude. <laughs> He's super awesome. Uh, his full name was Empedocles of Argasius, modern Argentino. Uh, now, and he was born in the year 492 and died in 432 before that stinky desert wizard known as Christ. He was a pre-Socratinian uh, philosopher, and so, like, this is, I know these dates, like, you know, I try and give a little bit of a context. That was 2,356 years ago. We as a, you know, society we're sitting around and thinking about this shit, which just to me is absolutely beautiful. You know, these uh, 2,000 years ago, they're fucking thinking about this shit. And um, so as a philosopher, Empedocles is best known for his theory that the world is composed of four elements, precisely the root roots, which is fire, earth, and water. In one of em Empedocles, his writings are called Fragments, and he wrote, quote, here, here first, the four roots of all things, shining, Zeus, which is fire, and life-bringing Hera, which is air, and Idonis, Idogenes, got it, I think, I think that's right, Idogenes, commonly identified as earth, and Nestus, which is identified as water. This is perhaps the, his greatest contribution to, to the world as we know, it was that, uh, you know, postulation that he made. And uh, it became this, the, he, him writing that w was the standard dogma for what things were made of for about 200, two millennia. And Empedocles, quote, Empedocles believed that light traveled with a finite velocity, not through any experimental evidence, of course, but simply through reasoning. Aristotle's writes in Descensu, translated from uh, sense and sensibilia, 
I always want to say Sensamelia. <laughs> it's just programmed in me from, from songs and stuff like that. So Empedocles says that light is from the sun, arrives first by the intervening space before it comes in contact with the eyes or reaches Earth. This m might plausibly seem to be the case, for whatever is moved through space is moved from one place to another. Hence, there must be a corresponding interval of time as in which it is is moved from one place to another. But any given time divisible into parts, but any given time is divisible into parts. So that the, we assume a time when the sun's ray was has not yet been seen, but is still traveling through middle space, end quote. This is from, from Aristotle's book. Um, Aristotle, Aristotle's thought dominated Western science for about two millennia. So, excuse me, damn it, I'm gonna have to. So powerful uh, in his cosmology that it compels him to declare that light is due to the presence of something, but is not a movement. No movement, no speed. The argument for finite speed is dismissed and translated from his book. Empedocles was wrong in speaking of light as, quote, traveling or being any being at a given moment between Earth and its envelope, its movement being unobservable to us. That view is contrary both to the clear evidence of the argument and observed fact. If distance traversed were short, the movement might be unobservable. But where the distance is extreme, like east to west, the strain upon our powers of belief is too great. Again, that's from his book. Um, and Aristotle won this argument for several thousand years. People believe that light didn't uh, ha have speed. Up until about the 17th century, the general consensus that light didn't have speed, and it appeared instantaneously uh, either on or off, and it just exists. Uh, during the 1600s, this idea was seriously challenged, first by Dutch scientist Isaac Beechman in 1629, and again, for context, that's 389 years ago, who set up his first mirrors, who set up a, a series of mirrors uh, around a gunpowder explosion. So, you know, mirrors in a circle, put some gunpowder, and lights it on fire, and it, he had a bunch of people standing around watching and asked them if they noticed any difference from the refraction of, like, the explosion onto the mirror to their eyes, asking if they saw a variation in, in that. You know, it's obviously wildly um, unscientific, so they didn't have any, any uh, you know, result of that. Um, then in 1667, Italian astronomer Galileo Galilei uh, stood two people on hills about less than a mile apart, each holding a shielded lantern. One covered the lantern, and when the second saw the flat, he, the, the, the one guy would have a lantern, and he'd have it covered. He'd pull his shield up, and when the guy less than a mile away saw it, he pulled his shield up as well, trying to see if uh, there was any variation in speed, and somebody stood there and, and you know, timed this with a fucking sand timer. Um, and by measuring, measuring the elapsed time um, until, so they unshield the, the lantern, they start the timer, and uh, he, you know, Galileo's assistant would flip over the timer, and then by the time the other guy uh, pulled his, you know, his shield up to say whether or not he saw it, they would measure 
the distance um, and the time that it took. And Galileo reasoned he should be able to determine the speed of light by doing this. His conclusion, if not instantaneous, it is an extraordinarily rapid quote. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, and uh, side note, um, I, I do remember now, uh, so some of these notes I haven't read in a while. I researched this a couple months ago. Uh, when I was looking into this, they used a water clock, water clock where the amount of water that empties into a container represented X amount of time that passed. And Galile Galileo just deduced that light travels about 10 times faster than sound. That's the result of that. Um, so then in 1676, Danish astronomer Ole Romer noticed strange variation in eclipse times from when one of Jupiter's moons over the course of a year. You know, so thinking about this, in 1676, they don't have fucking much to do other than stare at the stars at nighttime. Um, so, you know, this motherfucker's sitting around looking at one of Jupiter's moons and just notices over a year of time. He's like, that seems odd. You know, there's a, it's not happening at the same time uh, as it did last year. So he starts sitting down and doing, you know, some calculations. He thought, quote, could this be because light took longer, a longer time to travel from Jupiter when Earth was further away, end quote. Romer thought so, and his rough calculations, again, like you got to, putting yourself in this thought process, um, uh, several hundred years ago, this motherfucker's just sitting down, uh, he has rudimentary telescopes, um, and, and to think about what's going on there. So back in the day, they would get some sand, melt it down, make glass. Then they would rub, they didn't have fucking files and shit or sandpaper. So they'd start rubbing, rubbing, you know, these, this glass on objects until it started to, till it started to convex. Um, and they put it in a, in a metal thing and stare at, you know, the fucking planets. And so the fact that they didn't have like tools that we have now. I imagine looking through that telescope, it's not very clear <laughs> or accurate, but this fucking guy uh, did a pretty damn good job at this process of trying to calculate. So his calculations put the speed of light at about 136,701 miles per second, which isn't bad, um, especially considering the data that he had on the size of the planets wasn't accurate. So that kind of plays into it. Like, you know, um, now we can look out in our telescopes and kind of say like, okay, that planet is 4,000 miles, um, in diameter. And, uh, uh, because, you know, they're, they don't have any of that, you know, it was, it, it's, it's, it's quite an amazing feat, uh, with the very little bit of amount of, uh, information that they had on astronomy, because that plays into size. Uh, or the size of the planet plays into the calculations. How did he go about acquiring the data? Um, so basically, you know, he's looking through a telescope. He, he d identifies that, like, what's today? Uh, I got to look at my phone. To, so Sunday, June 23rd, he's looking at the planets, the, the moons, specifically Jupiter's mm -hmm. moon, and he's writing down uh, the as best he can um because they don't have star charts or shit so he's just writing down his location in the world the time and you know what 
ever his brain is thinking in 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 how um you know the positioning and then a year later he does the same thing and notices that things are off based off of the first calculations another year goes by he does the same thing another year goes by i don't know i don't remember it saying exactly uh how long you know these calculations took but it, they had to at least wait a year to to know so a couple of years goes by of this just raw observation of the eye and he does calculations and he's like, okay, I think it's about, what was it? 136,701 miles, which is just, I mean, that's, you know, not far off. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Okay. And um, he concluded that light took 10 to 11 minutes to travel from the sun to earth which is an overestimate now since it in fact takes eight minutes and 19 seconds, but still pretty damn good. Um, but the last scientist had a number to, uh, but at last a scientist had a number to work with. His calculations presented a speed of 136-ish thousand miles per second. And, um, you know, again, I, 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 I'm for the, for River, uh, you know, I'm reading notes and, and uh, so, and some of this is coming off of memory too, but I have here, again, super close. And doing this with just the fucking calculations and a telescope is what I have written. <laughs> um, lots of exclamation, exclamation points in my notes here. It's, it's, it's just astonishing to me when I think about this stuff that, you know, they, they, they don't have, if you ask me to figure out the speed of light and I have a fucking MacBook Pro and a phone, <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> and this is how many, how many thousands? Uh, a couple hundred. A couple hundred. A, a, a little over 300 years ago. Um, so uh, then in 1728, this motherfucker, um, a physicist, an English physicist named James Bradley, based his calculation on the change in apparent position of the stars due to Earth's travel around the sun. Um, this method is, that, uh, that uh, James Bradley and, um, man, I just read it, so the, I should have, Oral Romer um, did, it's called Stellar Aberration. I'll talk about that in a second, but it was kind of difficult for me to quite figure out the actual process. But this this physicist guy, he he does some calculations by looking at the stars and and uh, the position of Earth around the sun, and he put, does just a little bit better of a job, and he put the speed of light at one hundred and eighty five thousand miles a second, which is pretty fucking close, and accurate within about one percent. And uh, so how he figured out, this is called stellar aberration, and this is a Google um, definition of stellar aberration, and it still doesn't quite totally give me the, you know, uh, complete understanding of how it's done. But stellar aberration causes the apparent position of the stars to change due to the motion of Earth around the sun. Sun. Stellar aberration is approximately the ratio of the speed that the Earth orbits around the sun uh, to the speed of light. He knew the speed of Earth around the sun, and then he could basically measure using this stellar aberration th um, method, we'll say. Uh, and he, these two facts enabled him to calculate the speed of light in a vacuum. 
then two attempts in the mid 1800s. So again, like that, uh, that was the 1600s. So, and gets are pretty fucking close within a couple thousand. So then this question really doesn't come up again and really get challenged until about mid 1800s. And they, it brought the problem of they're sitting there and looking at space uh, and trying to figure it out. And now we're coming back to Earth. And th this just is fucking awesome. Uh, the human mind is fascinating. So a French physicist, Hippolyte Faizou, probably not saying that right. Uh, he's shown a light between the teeth of a rapidly to uh, rotating tooth wheel. A mirror about five miles away reflected the beam uh, back to uh, the same gap between the tooth wheels. So we've got a wheel with uh, slots cut in it. You put a, uh, you know, 1800, so probably still a lantern. He uh, puts a lever on it and he starts rotating this tooth wheel. And um, they put a mirror again five miles away. And when it comes back through the tooth, um, again, it hits the mirror, you know, so the flickering, I'm sure you can imagine in your head, this, you know, spinning wheel, it's, it's, it's flickering forward. And then when it hits that mirror and comes back, that's how they're figuring it out. And, uh, the wheel rotated at about a hundred times a second. Therefore, a fraction of the speed was the fraction of speed was really easy to measure. By um, by by varying the speed of the wheel, it was possible to determine at what speed the wheel was spinning too fast for the light to pass through the gap, and then you know through the gaps in the teeth to the mirror and come back and uh, to the remote mirror and back. I'm gonna have to edit that. Uh, he knew how far light traveled in this time by dividing the distance of of the the five miles. He he gets back that the speed of light is 194,675 miles per second, which is just a little bit of an overshoot. Uh, 8,393 8, miles per second from the um, actual accepted 186,282 miles that we have today. Uh, so this is, again, like the 1800s. You know, uh, a couple hundred years ago, just just sitting down and going, okay, I'm going to fucking figure this out. I mean, they get a wheel, they cut some slats in it, they get a fucking lantern and a mirror and set it up, and they they get it pretty damn close. That's it's, pretty amazing to it's even amazing. think about that. Yeah, it's, it's just like it blows my fucking mind thinking about that, you know? I, I, if you ask me, if you put me in my car and turn my speedometer off, I would have no fucking idea how fast I was going. I couldn't possibly even begin to try and think about how the fuck I would figure that out. And you, these fucking guys are, you know, it gets within a, uh, uh, rounding it uh, 8,000 miles within the accepted speed that we have now with, you know, uh, incredibly high-tech um, instruments. So uh, another French physicist decides to rip into this he basically rips this previous idea off, uh, but does it a little bit better. Le Leon Foucault uh, used a, instead he used a rotating mirror rather than a wheel, and he shone a light at the rotating mirror, then it bounced back to another remotely 
displaced mirror and then uh, back to the mirror, the rotating one. And uh, But because the first mirror was rotating, the light of the rotating mirror finally bounced back at an angle slightly different from the original shown angle. And um, based off of that, uh, by measuring the angle that, you know, go, it goes from the mirror out, then back slightly offset, based off of looking at that, uh, he is able to figure out the speed of light. Uh, he gets it. He, it, this guy does it for a long time. Like he, you know, this is, this happens over a couple of year process and his final measurement was in 1862 and he just determined that the speed of light is 186,284 miles per second. We're getting really fucking close to the, you know, existing number. Um, again, like the whole point of this podcast, it's a kind of, I'm not trying to teach facts. I'm trying to teach how amazing the human mind can be. Um, I mean, just like, you know, now if you, you tell me, okay, we're, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. I would have to get a infrared measuring device to tell you the, the angle offset of this thing, you know, going off and coming back. That's the only way I would be able to, because this fucking mirror is rotating. How am I going to know the distance uh, of, you know, the offset without having some sort of a fucking electronic device installed to tell me, you know? And this guy's just... You'd be fucked. Yeah, this guy is just... Him and his, his um, assistant are sitting there just doing this night after night after night using their fucking eyes. Where did the mirror, like, where did that originate? Because I, I know the where use the of, actual the use of not not mirrors, just the use of mirrors and measurements and things like that. I know in Egypt mm-hmm. they had that, so yeah. I'm wondering if that's where. Well, I mean, was taken mirrors from. in general in science are you know very. I, I, I don't have the facts to actually answer that, you know, because I, 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 that's going to happen throughout these episodes. And, and as we get to know each other better, I'll, as I'm doing the research, I might be able to foresee something, a question like that. I don't exactly know, but, um, I do know with when in early, early science, uh, at least 16, 17, 18th century, the mirror is a very, very valuable tool to a scientist, um, in many many different ways but yeah i mean mirrors have been around forever the other thing like too that i remember reading in this research was like the the i i'm going to put my notes up on the facebook uh like the actual notes that i'm reading and at the end i have citations for everything i forget what page it was but on the page that i was reading the guy was like you have to also take into account here that they, you know, again, like with the with the guy making the telescope, that's not an accurate instrument. <laughs> you know, I can go. I was looking last night at telescopes, about sixty four bucks. I can get one on Amazon delivered tomorrow, and that's pretty goddamn accurate. You know, I could make I could make observations and send that in, and it would be accepted as an from an astronomical society, um, astrological, not an astronomical. <laughs> that was good. Um, at least you caught it. Though. Yeah, but like this, this guy, like he's using he's mirrors now. Uh, uh, so quick side note: um, I don't. Uh, have you ever thought about like how a mirror, like how you actually get mirrors? 
this is completely off topic, but the other day I was I was just sit I was driving and I was like, who the fuck makes mirrors? Like I've never I've, I've never only, no I've only ever been given a mirror, <laughs> or it was already in my house, you know. But like, or you're going from like a secondhand shop. Most like I've seen my mother buy a lot of mirrors, and it's always like a, a quote unquote hand me down that she's getting. Where the fuck do you buy an actual first time made mirror that nobody's ever looked in? I mean, probably Amazon, but like most mirrors in the world, I would bet just wild. It would have had to have been looked in even on Amazon yeah. because it had to have been made. Yeah. So They're the person all making it. Just side note, I, I think it was a meme that made me go down that um, mental hole. But like, you know, now you're looking at a mirror in our bathroom that you could use to base pretty accurate calculations off of but these fuckers you know several hundred years ago made these mirrors and that glass is not clear it is you know i'm sure it's opaque as fuck there's material inside of it that's causing but he's still able to get fucking close see that makes my mind explode right now because you have people nowadays that can't even function without a cell phone and you have a person that is like making their own mirror and measuring the speed of light. So that's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's, it's just amazing. I, uh, you know, the next one, the next episode is, is what is light? Um, and I'll explain in that episode why we're doing the speed first, not what it's made of, but like just a quick, like preview of, I mean, these, Back in fucking ancient Greece, thousands of years ago, they postulated, these scientists, and Pedicles was a part of that. That's why he's a dope-ass motherfucker. Um, they're sitting around and thinking, this is what I think light's made of. And they're fucking accurate as shit. You, you know, people are like, nah, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> and then now they're like, oh, yeah, he was just about right. Like, that's just... It's just amazing. You know, I think like a lot of what happens, um, at least to me now, is when, you know, like when I was in rehab, I would sit and fucking look at the equations on my arm and start postulating deep, wide ideas. But now I get home and I want to fucking turn my brain off and watch, you know, something on TV and not think, you know, I think that we're getting dumbed down, uh, you know, but it's just amazing. It's just fucking mind blowing. Uh, you know, I think a lot of that, too, like now I have stimulus in life and society in general has a stimulation um, at our fingertips. So you're not sitting around and thinking of these things. These fucking guys had nothing to do. <laughs> I mean, there's books. And even back then, like with books, it was hard to get. Because you had to be like rich and important to get a fucking book before the printing press was made. And even then, it's, it was still quite expensive for many years. Um, so, you know, that, that, uh, it's just fucking awesome stuff. Uh, so again, you know, this, uh, guy, he gets about a thousand miles per second, uh, pretty close to what it is now. Uh, then Prussian born Albert Michelson. He's a awesome. He's one, he's definitely on my top 10 of, of, uh, physicists. Uh, he grew up in the United States. He he attempted to replicate Foucault's method in 1879 but used a longer distance. And this is where 
you know, more time has passed and they've got, they've now have very high quality mirrors and lenses. So he's going to get a little bit closer. His, he basically does the same thing just with better shit. And his result is 186,355 miles per second. And this guy's calculation, uh, Michelson, his is accepted, uh, for a long time, you know, um, for about 40 years until somebody else then um, comes along and, and does it. But interesting footnote to Michelson's experiment was that he was trying to <laughs> he was trying to detect the medium that light traveled through, not the speed of light. He was trying to go, he was going, okay, light travels through something. What is that? And uh, that was uh, what he was trying to uh, prove in his experiment was the lumit. I always fuck this up. It's hard. I'm gonna do it now. Lum, lum, luminiferous ether. Lumif, lumifer. Not even gonna. It's just an ether. I'm sure you've heard of it. You know, it's in movies and shit like that. But that was something uh, before we really get Einstein shit like really driven into physicists' minds. Everybody thought that the ether was something that reality was inside of what contained uh, the us uh, and, and, you know, matter in general. And he proved that uh, he, he sets out on this and he's like, I'm going to fucking prove this goddamn ether. And he disproves it, but gets a very close accurate. Did he actually say it like that? No, no, I, I think it was probably a little bit more. He was Prussian born and grew up in the United States. I think it was a little bit more in the 1879. I don't think it was uh, as colloquial. <laughs> colloquial. Nailed it. Uh, and uh, so uh, I have a quote. Okay. Uh, the quote, the experiment and Michelson's body of work was so revolutionary that he became the only person in history to have won a no Nobel Prize in, I love this title. So he won a Nobel Prize in for a very precise non-discovery of anything. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> so they have a Nobel Prize and like... Uh, you fucked up, but you figured something out. Yeah. <laughs> I love that title. Um, uh, the quote is from uh, astrophysicist Ethan Siegel in uh, Forbes uh, science blog starts with a bang. Again, the notes will be online for somebody who doesn't believe me. Quote, the experiment itself may have been a complete failure, but what we learned from it was a greater boon to humanity and our understanding of the universe than any success would have been. So like that quote there, the reason I put that in is like he sets out to figure out something that we know now doesn't exist, uh, or at least is widely believed to not be exist and, uh, and to not be exist, to not exist. And, um, you know, he finds out like something that just, echoes through time uh i i love that i i i have some episodes like that plan like accidental exp you know pr provings of things and and i did like light uh research on it and it's fucking fascinating um the accidental things like velcro was an accident and um so in 1887 michelson and edward morley fucking dream team these guys did a lot for science um, used this thing called an infrared infermometer, 
a this is a device used today used today and invented by Michelson, the guy who just figured out and gave us that thing. He invents this infer infer infermometer. <laughs> so just side note. Um I listened to Time Suck Podcast, great podcast. Uh and I he calls himself Mushmouth because he always fucks up things. And this is kind of like listening to finding his podcast is what made me be like, I gotta, I gotta do this, you know. Um, but I'm much less funny than he is, and and I, I have to have a co-host. I tried doing this alone and it just didn't work. Um but uh yeah, so there's gonna and I'm not gonna fucking edit that. Um so the the Michelson and Morley they make this infermometer and they combine two or more light sources uh, to accurate to get a super accurate distance of one in ten thousandth of a width of a proton when they're doing this. Like they you know uh, they invent this thing and they start using it to measure and just it's it's in one in. 10,000 width of a proton, which is so fucking close. That's how accurate this device is. Um, they figure out how light travels, how light waves move through the theoretical ether in the universe. According to the principles of classical physics, the movement of the Earth through this mysterious substance affects the speed of light rays moving through it. Michelson and Morley use the infirmometer to bounce light waves out and back at right angles, expecting to see the beams, uh, you know, a lag in the beams. And instead, the beams returned exactly at the same time. In years to come, these findings would be cited as one of the first proofs, proofs this mysterious ether did not exist, that uh, the speed of light is a constant, and that classical physics was not enough to explain the physical universe. Again, you know, just get again a little bit more like this is fucking revolutionary what these guys did. Um, so there was a little bit, a uh, little bit more. In, uh, uh, there's information about this. The there's drama surrounding Michelson's experiment um because of a lot of stuff that's going on i won't explain that but there's like some bullshit going on around his experiment and um <clears throat> the there you know basically because of where he actually did uh the experiment that it was there was a lot of stuff going on in the atmosphere at the time so it kind of like also added to uh, uh the amazingness that they were able to figure this out and um so when uh his work helped trigger a revolutionary, a revolution in physics uh, after it re gets released. Uh, but he uh, himself, he decided that he was wrong. Um, this is from one of his biographers uh, writing that, like, just until he died, he was like, nope, I'm not fucking accepting it. So, like, he comes out with this thing, he releases it. He revolutionizes physics to this day. Uh, you know, we a lot of the, the things in physics are are thanks to his fucking infermometer and the and his findings. But his whole life, he's just after this. He just his biographers write that he's just pissed about it, and he's not. He never accepts it. So he's he's basically like you know putting shields over his eyes and going no 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 no. I was right. My original theory about the ether. Um, so his daughter, 
uh, Dorothy Michelson, Michelson Livingston wrote that Michelson never gave up his belief in the ether, even though he accepted Einstein's work. So Einstein proved his, his work around that same time disproves the ether. Um, Michelson believes in, and accepts Einstein's work, but is still not giving up on the ether. Um, this is the part in my research where I found um, uh, famous science feuds, which will be in a couple episodes, but there's some fucking amazing, like, Michelson is, is, is you know, um, so influential, um, but he's acting like a petty bitch. And, because and, of Einstein. And, uh, no, not because of that. Uh, he accepts Einstein's work, but he's acting like a petty bitch because he he fucking did. He goes into this experiment going, "I'm going to prove the ether exists," which, as a scientist, you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to come up with a theory and let the data decide for you. Prove or disprove it. He goes in going, "I'm going to prove this thing." It gets disproved. He revolutionizes science. And he also then accepts Einstein's work that basically then disproves the ether. So he's got all this data in front of him that the ether doesn't exist, but he goes to his deathbed being like, nah, <laughs> nah. That's pretty it's horrible. There. Yeah, it's fucking, it's crazy. Like this guy's a fucking genius, but like he. It's, it's not just, enough. Yeah, it's just an interesting side note of like how blind, even an incredibly fucking genius level person uh can just be so blind i mean i experience it in my everyday life in the sense that i listen i have a very good friend judge mike and he's a genius but he also uh doesn't accept reality go fuck yourself (laughs) well there is that saying being so smart you're dumb yeah um so in 1903 or 1930 that belief uh uh, for his last ambitious test. He's like, I'm proving the fucking ether. He's dedicated to it. He goes to uh, uh, Santa Ana. Athiel Clark, the oldest living member of the family, uh, they go to Santa Ana to this like mansion ranch thing. And this woman uh, uh, was there as, as a child. And um, she remembers in, in this uh, book that I took this from. She remembers uh, when Michelson would come to lunch and he would get to the table of this huge, you know, mansion dining room uh, of James Irvine's Victorian home. And uh, James Irvine and James Irvine Sr. and Jr. are there, and Robert Milliken. And uh, I should have done a little bit better of a job of these notes, but she, uh, you know, they, they uh, these fucking brilliant men are sitting there trying to, you know, change the world. And she's a little girl sitting there and she goes, I remember being told that he was a very famous man who was looking for a site of importance. His hair was gray, unruly. He seemed extremely gracious to me. Uh, I, I just, I love that she remembered his hair. So she, you know, she's talking in this book 70 years later um, of a memory of when she's a little girl and like she's talking about this dude and she's just like his hair was unruly. So I think to myself, like, how unruly <laughs> was his <laughs> hair <laughs> that it fucking seared into this woman's memory? Um, and the biographer that's writing this that I took it from, uh, quote, gracious was uh, of the nicer words to use about Michelson 
in general. Throughout his career, as honors piled up, he had earned a reputation both as brilliant and, and unstable. He was an accomplished tennis player, an excellent painter and violinist, and so good at billiards that opponents complained that his knowledge of physics gave him a very unfair advantage. His few close friends described him as extremely loyal, fond of practical jokes, and quite cool under pressure. I did do research on trying to figure out what practical jokes this guy was playing. I couldn't find anything. Uh, I wish I, I, I could find out. Uh, so his daughter, Dorothy, she wrote a letter that her father worked for days without sleeping and eating, that he sat alone at meals so his thinking would not be disturbed, that in, that in turns he could be arrogant, distant, imperious. Don't know what that word means, but we have a Mac, and I'm going to highlight it and find out what the fuck that means. Um, define it. And imperious, assuming power or authority without justification, arrogant, or domineering. I wonder if I'm in Paris. You actually could have asked me. Um, and, I'm not uh, much for the science, but I do. Uh, I did know that. So he goes through a messy divorce uh, that was on the front pages for weeks. And um, including, he also was known to ride a motorcycle uh, a lot up hills. Americans have been obsessed with mad scientists, and Michelson fit the image, writes UCLA physicist Worker, Wicker. I don't know how to pronounce that, but we're going Wicker. And he was the most famous American scientist of his day. Anything he did was news. And um, so in 1907, when Michelson won the Nobel Prize for Physics, his career was only getting started. He beat off several challenges to his findings and uh, um, honored his earlier work. In 1920, uh, he was the first to measure the d diameter of a star called Betelgeuse, or Betelgeist, depending on which scientist you're talking to, and, um, and achieved, and achieved, hailed in New York Times as astounding. So this guy was fucking bomb-ass shit. In 1926, the most spectacular of Michelson's experiments split the night sky between Mount Wilson and Mount Baldy with mirrors, turbines, his infermometer, <laughs> and an arc light. Nailed it. <laughs> Did. He measured the speed of light within two, within two miles per second of its accepted speed now. And uh, so just kind of like somebody that was there uh, uh, writes, Horace ba Badcock, Babcock, we're going Badcock, he's got Badcock, <laughs> the emeritus director of Mount Wilson Observatory, remembers visiting the experiment as a child, seeing the light shooting out of cracks in a shack where Michelson worked. Michelson wasn't satisfied with the results of Mount Wilson's experiment. For one thing, he worried that, quote, shimmers in the air in between the mountains might have fouled his results. He also didn't trust the work of the United States Geodetic Society survey team, uh, which had measured the distance between the peaks. He wanted to repeat the test in a vacuum to measure the more precise speed and perhaps show the presence of the ether again. This guy is just not giving that up. Clark says... My, 
Clark says Michelson settled on Orange County as a site for the experiment after a lunch with the Irvines, the people I mentioned earlier. And uh, they drive off. Michelson uh, liked the fact this place was it was low and flat and uh, near a, a military base that they could get resources from. So they go there. Uh, this, you know, again, this guy is like the rock star physicist at the time. So this project, he decides to pick up and move the project and do this one last time. And, uh, you know, it, it just, it happens very quickly. Um, Michelson's assistants, uh, they build a metal shack to hold the turbines, the arc light and other equipment and a network of metal tubings, uh, a network of tubing, metal pipes, wires, plugs, and switches. From the shack, they built a mile-long tube, three foot in diameter, corrugate, out of corrugated steel pipes, sealed airtight by layers of steel, cloth, inner tubes, and rubber paint. Inside the tubes were a series of mirrors, each on a motorized balancing machine. In the center of this shack was the infirmometer, uh, again, something that we still use to this day, and uh, which Michelson sometimes called the she-devil. Uh, at the heart of the machine, a wheel covered with finely honed mirrors spun at exactly 512 revolutions per second. When light struck the wheel, it bounced back and forth through the tunnel, uh, eventually returning to a spot uh, where it started from. By then, the mirror would have changed its angle slightly, reflecting the light uh, at an angle. By knowing the distance that this light travels, the speed of the mirror rotating, and the angle of the bounce, he calculates the speed of light. And, um, you know, again, like now this is a little bit closer to our times, you know, maybe a little over uh, 100 years ago. Um, remember, not too long ago, we talked about these motherfuckers doing it with a with a, <laughs> a lamp and a mirror, you know, yeah. uh, hundreds of years ago. It just to me, like when I think about that, like how amazing in most science um, I shouldn't speak that broadly in science. Uh, sometimes when I'm reading and, and researching things myself, like people hundreds of years before things get actually made into accepted theories, come up with these wild ideas as they're sitting around thinking and it very, you know, it comes out to be true, you know? And like, this is a prime example of the fact that hundreds of years ago, they're like, let's get some fucking lamps some mirrors and start shining shit at shit. And this guy just does it a little bit better and gets it within a couple of, you know, I mean, the, the, his speed of light is accepted on, until we get the devices that we have now. So um, Clark, this guy that was there, remembers the shack as it was completely, quote, absolutely spotless. While the experiment was running, her father would drive house guests over to over to and uh, when it wasn't running, they would, you know, people would go and check it out. And um, but, but, but I should have edited that out of my nose because that's a pointless fact. Uh, quote, it was very dark, his daughter says. It looked, I looked in the window and saw a long dark hole that disappeared into nothing. There was little tiny sparks shooting back and forth. I'd never seen anything like it. Michelson Michelson's last experiment did not go smoothly. On the day of his arrival to this fucking shack in the middle of nowhere, uh, the pump that uh, sucked air out of that tube we talked about earlier, the three-mile-long tube, it broke down, halted the project. Leaks in the pipes were con consistently a problem. 
fears of earthquakes were were uh, you know an issue. And um, they, Michelson and his assistant, from accounts of people that were around, said that like him and his one assistant fucking fought um, like crazy all the time. His daughter describes one of these fights. Uh, <laughs> it's awesome. In which an assistant drove to Pasadena and called the, called the physicist into a lobby at Hotel Mary. The two men stood in the lobby arguing with each other, wearing pajamas, scribbling diagrams on the back of Chinese lottery ticket. And uh, until uh, they have this argument until like a whole bunch of people come around and, and Michelson's like embarrassed and decides to go off uh, and stop the argument. His health starts to deteriorate. And uh, uh, probably because of the climate, his doctor said uh, his bladder was removed in 1929. Uh, just fun fact. And uh, that's all fun for him. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so on April, in April 1931, uh, Einstein comes to visit Michelson uh, at the ranch. And Michelson's daughter remembers sitting between them at a dinner. Just like, think about that. For a second, like Michelson, fucking rock star physicist with fucking Albert Einstein. That's just like cool as shit. And this little girl, uh, what she writes is great. But, you know, that's just fucking amazing, you know. Um, so uh, she remembers. <laughs> I love this. Uh, Michelson's daughter remembers sitting between them at dinner, seeing that neither could keep his hair combed. Again, she's real <laughs> focused on this hair problem. And uh, she, she, you know, struggled from laughing at them. Um, the, uh, you know, two, the two men, she would say, like, they, they, you know, they'd go to banquets and shit. And these two would go outside and fucking argue at, at each other in positive ways, you know, um, to further science. It wasn't contentious. Um, but in when I was reading about this, she just drives home. The hair was crazy. So either she really loves hair or, like, these motherfuckers' hairs was just nuts all the time. I think it's a science dude thing. I yeah. mean, most guys that are in science have really, or really like it, have unruly hair. Um, at the end of April, Michelson's doctor um, confined him to his house after suffering what the papers said was a nervous breakdown. In early May, his assistants brought him early data from the tests. On May 9th, Michelson suffered a stroke. Um, followed by a cerebral hemorrhage. After lingering in a coma for a couple hours, he died. Um, just some facts about the dude. Uh, you know, advances science as we know it. And, uh, you know, when I read in it, when I remember researching this, like, you know, like just tortured, though, you know, didn't get to enjoy it. Looked at his his findings and was like, nah, I'm not accepting it. You know, like, it's kind of sad. He wasn't happy. It yeah. was never enough. It's kind of sad. But interesting, like, you know, for me, when I think about certain scientists, um, you know, I, you know, they're on a pedestal, obviously. And, and, and in the researching of these uh, episodes, uh, you know, the, the, these are just regular fucking people. You know, I, I, we look back in history and put, I do, I look back in history and put certain people as if they didn't have fucking arguments, you know, um, they just seem like, you know, these golden gods, uh, <laughs> always sunny reference, um, these, you know, these amazing people, but they're really just fucking people. They're just people with problems and ailments and issues. It's, 
So, I, I get it. Yeah. After 1970, the development of lasers with very high spectral stability and accurate casmium clocks had uh, even better measurements um, were possible. Up until then, the changing definition of the meter always stayed ahead of the accuracy in the measurements of the speed of light. Yeah. I actually have a question. Mm -hmm. Who was the first person to actually create the the uh, laser? The laser? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I don't know, but we got Googles. All right, I like to say goggles. Uh, who first invented lasers, bruh? Um, so... The goggles say that, come on with the name here. First laser was built in 1960 by Theodore H. Meheim at Hughes Research Laboratories based on theoretical work by Charles Howard Tones and Arthur Leonard Schkow. Sounds like you're clearing your throat. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Um and um, so it becomes more practical after we get this experiment that goes down and we, get, we accept that this is the speed of light to fix a value of C to um, the speed of light. And, you know, um, nowadays the speed of light in a vacuum is just, it, thanks to the, these, this guy's work, uh, we know that it's, it does travel through something. Aristotle was wrong. Um, it's not instantaneous, but it, it, you know, it has a speed, and we get there. So since um, I'm going to skip that in the notes. All right, uh, so that's how we get to the speed of light. Basically, now we've got, we still use that infermometer and you know, lasers and vacuums to figure it out, and and uh, it is 186,282 miles per second. Uh, to for, we're gonna jump into a light year, uh, just to kind of explain because it will uh, in later episodes be important. The dis uh, a light year is the distance distance light travels in the course of a year. A light year is measured of is measure is a measure of both time and distance. It is not hard to understand. It's not as hard to understand as it seems. I don't know why I wrote that. Uh, think of it in this way. Apparently, I'm angry about it. Uh, light travels <laughs> from the moon to our eyes in about a second, which means the moon is one light second away. Sunlight takes about eight minutes to reach our eyes and the sun is eight light minutes away. Light from the nearest star system, Alpha Centauri, is roughly 4.3 years. It takes about 4.3 years to get there. So this uh, um, is 4.3 light years away. Stars and other objects beyond our solar, solar system lie anywhere from a few light years to a few billion. Thus, when astronomers study objects that lie a, that lie a light year or more away, it they are seeing it as it existed in time. Um, 
not as it would appear as if you were like standing right there. Um, I, I remember now why I'm kind of defining this in the sense that like when you look up in the night sky, um, I, it's not, even when I'm sitting here from you, uh, this comes into play later with, with uh, inequality that when I'm looking at you, it's not actually you because time has passed from the time my, the light rays come from the, um, our, I don't know, uh, I was going to say chandelier, but it's definitely not a chandelier, our, our sphere we'll we'll go light source from you to here to here to me you know time time has passed and uh you know this is it uh later this will make a little bit more sense in a future episode but it's important to talk about this uh principle allows astronomers to see how the universe looked uh after the big bang which was about 13.8 billion years ago um and da, 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 man, um, so I'm going to read it as I wrote it. So when you're looking at the stars, you're literally looking in the past exclamation point, which is fucking cool. <laughs> that that's yeah. that's hella deep, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, darling. Um, River, um, you know, this is the first one. So there's some fucking uh roadblocks also this was researched years uh years months ago um i was maybe four months sober i think i was trying to distract myself uh one night and started doing this so the breakthrough uh e equals mc squared the theory of special relativity explains how space and time are linked look like you wanted to say something no i'm just i'm i'm very interested uh so the this Special relativity explains how space and time are linked. Kind of jumping back to Michelson. So like space and time and the ether was the accepted sort of postulation. And then uh, Einstein comes in and fucks everybody's brains up with this. And um, space and time are linked. And for the objects that are moving in a constant speed in a straight... I'm going to read it as written. The theory of special relativity explains how space and time are linked for objects that are moving at a consistent speed in a straight line. Now that made sense. One of its most famous aspects concerns objects moving at the speed of light. Simply put, as an object approaches the speed of light, its mass becomes infinite, and it is unable to go any faster than the speed of light. This constant speed limit... This cosmic speed limit uh, has been the subject of discussion ever since it was postulated. And, uh, you know, science fiction all the time with, with whether or not we can have space travel. Oh, I do remember now why I was doing light years because we are going to get to um, space travel in this. Uh, in 1905, Al- Albert Einstein wrote his first paper on special relativity. In it, he es- established that light uh, establish isn't the right word as i'm reading that um postulates that light travels at the same speed no matter how fast the observer moves so does that make sense yes okay um uh, even using the most precise measurements possible the speed of light remains the same for the observer standing still on the face of the earth as it does for somebody traveling at a in a supersonic jet above the surface with less gravity affecting their mass. Um, And uh, that uh, 
is the twins paradox. And we'll, that'll come up later, but if you want to jump ahead in your own life, Google's uh, twins paradox is some dope shit. And similarly, even through, even though Earth is orbiting the sun, which is itself moving through the Milky Way, which is a galaxy traveling through space, the measurement of speed of light coming from the sun would be the same wherever the fuck we are in the universe. We pop over to another universe, it's, the, it's going to be the exact same. Uh, nothing travels faster than the speed of light. And... Einstein calculated that the speed of light doesn't vary uh, with space and time. Light, space, and time. Space and time, category A. Uh, uh, light is in its own category. And <clears throat> although the speed of light is often referred to as the universal speed limit, the universe actually expands faster. So this is where we're getting a little bit more confusing shit. Um, so nothing travels faster than the speed of light. Are you sure? So, nothing travels faster than the speed of light. Except um, the known universe that we have, uh, that, that we can see and we've been able to uh, observe. According to the astro astrophysicist Paul Sutter, the universe expands at roughly 42.2 miles-ish per second. Per, uh, no, 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 not uh, miles per second per megaparsec. Um, that's where the speed of light or the, 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 the distance of uh, fucking why I was talking about light years earlier. <laughs> Had a little brain fart there. Uh, a, a megaparsec is 3.2 or 3.26 million light years. So as the observable universe that we're in, it's expanding. Into what? Who fucking knows? Uh, the speed at which we're expanding is 42-ish um, miles per second uh, per megaparsec, which megaparsec, 3.26 million light years. Uh, and so a galaxy one megaparsec away appears to be traveling away from the Milky Way at a speed of 42 miles per second, while a galaxy two megaparsecs away recedes at 84.5 miles per second and so on. So the further you get out, the faster it's expanding. Um, at some point, at some obscene distance, quote this is, the speed tips over the scales and exceeds the speed of light, all from the natural regular expansion of space. So, Yet by the confused look on your face that uh, that was fucking confusing. And I apologize, River, because it is fucking confusing. And when I do more research about this, like, we have to build our way up to totally understanding this. But basically, inside the observable universe as we know it, speed, the speed of light is as fast as you're fucking going. Uh, you can't go any faster than that. But... As we're expanding, we don't know what the fuck we're expanding into. We do know that we're expanding. Um, on the edge of that expansion, you think of a black hole, how they have the event horizon. Think of the event horizon of the expanding universe. That's faster than the speed of light. That's the only fucking thing that's going faster of it. 
Okay, so that makes that makes a it, little bit more sense. It's we don't know why, but basically because the universe is being created out there, as simply as I can be put it, is the fucking laws of physics are wacky dacky out there. Um, so nothing is faster than the speed of light. There is a caveat to that. A galaxy on on the far side of the a galaxy on the far side of the universe? Question mark. Um, that's the domain of general relativity. And general relativity states, who cares, that the galaxy can have a speed as it wants, as long as it stays far, far away and not up next to your face, uh, Sutter writes in, in uh, again, for anybody that wants to know, or District Attorney Ben, go ahead and go look at my notes and challenge me later. I would love to have a discussion about it. Uh, quote again, Special relativity doesn't care about the speed, superluminal or otherwise, of a distant galaxy, and neither should you, this guy wrote. So, again, I'm just putting it in there because there is a caveat to the speed of light. The caveat, basically this fucking guy who's super smart and studying this shit, he's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> we don't understand it. Don't worry about it. Um, and so this is... Uh, where district district attorney Ben caught me um, in in uh, uh, and why we're re-recording this again? This section of my notes is incorrect. Um, does any of that not make sense? Do you want further ex explanation before I kind of go any further? No. Okay. Keep on going. So. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, this is all in a vacuum. The vacuum of space or a vacuum that we made here, uh, you know, however we decided to do that. Uh, light travels in waves. And uh, so another ep episode two will explain the traveling and the medium as of which light is delivered. But for now, light travels in waves, just like the sound. And it can be slowed depending on what it's traveling through. Nothing can outpace light in a vacuum. Not possible, except that little caveat that we just talked about. Um, however, in a region containing any matter like dust, light can bend as it uh, comes in contact with these particles, which then results in a decrease of speed. Can't go faster than it, but you can fucking slow light down. So it is the fastest object, but it doesn't always travel at that is the point that I'm getting here. Light traveling through Earth's atmosphere moves uh, almost as fast as light in a vacuum, while light passing through a diamond, excuse me, is slowed to less than half that speed. Uh, still, it travels through the gem at 277 million miles per second. Not something, you know, it slows it down, but it's still fucking fast as shit. And um, can we travel faster than the speed of light? Um, because I set this whole thing I'm setting up of that this is a fucking universal constant. Um, then I talk about light, light uh, years, the measure of distance. Um, so... I mean, this is something that, well, let me ask you, do you think we can do it? Not now, but do you think we'll ever be able to 
go faster than light. Yes. FTL travel. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, every fucking science fiction doesn't um, exist without warp speed, FTL, all that stuff. Um, so this this is a theory that we're working on. Um, not we. I'm not doing it. <laughs> but <laughs> that, when I, I say mean. we as a as a society, uh, the scientific community is working on it. Um, and and basically, with what we know now, it's impossible. But there's some fucking radical son of a bitches out there that think we can pull it off, and they are working on it. Um, according to Einstein's general theory of relativity, as an object moves faster, its mass will increase while its length contracts at the speed of light, such as an object. Uh, at the speed of light, such an object has an infinite mass while its length is zero. An impossibility. That just fucking, as you read it, and I read it now, it just doesn't make sense. Thus, no object can reach the speed of light as the theories go. Um, that doesn't stop us as, as a society, as a collective consciousness. Um, so... The what certain people are working on now is the idea of warp speed, um, and it's not impossible. Uh, the, this uh, quote unquote idea, uh, perhaps in future generations, we'll be able to hop through stars. I'm gonna even edit that, uh, to the fact that it's not perhaps definitely. I think within Ripper's lifetime, we will be a multiplanetary species, we'll be able to hop galaxy to galaxy. Um, some of the, you know, I don't want to go too deep into it, but like one of the more leading um, theories, proposals is that, uh, you know, since we can't go faster than the speed of light as we know it, then why don't we bend, bend. space I was just going to say that. So we can pop in between it. Um, just totally possible uh, postulation. And there are people working on it. It's totally people working on it. Um, this is where in my notes I was caught. Uh, thankfully, I'm so thankful to that motherfucking goddamn lawyer uh, catching me. I did have, um, I, I'm only talking about this only because like I will probably release the episode that I did do where I do talk about this. And thankfully in a private group, somebody was talking about science around the time I shared this article that I would talk about or that I did talk about in this section and it was wrong. I was reading on an old iPad because I didn't have a computer and that old iPad didn't play GIFs. At the end of this article written by a reputable source had a GIF that said, ha, April Fools. Um, so I read this, I fucking put a lot of notes in here and I'm researching that basically in this article that at CERN, um, the Large Hadron Collider, that nanoparticles were shot from point A to point B, and they traveled uh, 60, millis, uh, 60 nanoseconds faster than light would have. Um, again, this was wrong. I'm only talking about it because uh, I was duped. Like, I was duped by, like, my dick got so hard reading this thing. I was like, oh, my God. Um and I put it in, and I believed it as fact uh, because I didn't hit the very gif at the end that said, ha, joking. Um, I spread that 
to a private Facebook group in an intellectual discussion. I'm talking about it because it's a valuable lesson to watch what the fuck I am sharing. Um, again, you know, I start this episode off saying that this is fact. Um, and I do stand behind uh, the stories and, and uh, a previous thing, but it's just a lesson for you, River, that even somebody who's researching, who has the goal of spreading and disseminating knowledge, fucked up and spread knowledge that isn't true. Um, it was a valuable lesson for me to learn because I, I mean, I remember for like three days, my brain was going crazy. I'm like, this is dope shit. This is amazing. This is fucking awesome. Like one of my dreams is to be able to go to a tattoo artist and say, cross that equation out, put the new updated, um, discovery on there. I would love that. Is it really? And, um, I thought that maybe, you know, something that I believed and grew up knowing was, was different so you know uh it's it's and i mean i have a whole fucking page of notes i'm not going to delete it uh because it is just an important lesson you know i i i am using reputable sources this fucking reputable source played a joke and it got me and it's just a valuable lesson in watching what the fuck you're reading online uh even a reputable scientific source that is cited uh, fucking got me. So anybody that's listening or River, most importantly, whatever you're reading on Facebook, whatever you see in a meme, whatever you're doing, uh, and you know, whenever you're learning, even the textbooks that you're reading in school, they can be wrong. <laughs> it, uh, depending on whose agenda is on the plate is how information, uh, gets twisted and spun to serve a purpose. Uh, the other thing that will I'm go I am going to discuss was I uh, on August 21st this article. So it this kind of plays more into what is light, but since we just talked about space travel in general, um, this uh, scientist solved a on a August 21st uh, they in 2018 um, they solved a 150 year old mystery about the nature of light matter interactions. Researchers were able to measure the force light exerts on a matter. On matter, uh, the breakthrough, the mush mouth breakthrough. The, the breakthrough confirmed light possesses momentum. So this was a thought, um, and like if you were to tell me or ask me this question, I'd be like, of course it does. Uh, of course, light has an effect because of uh, inequality. Um, I know that uh, inequality in short is, uh, as it was, uh, as I learned it, uh, I'm, well, I'm looking at this phone. I'm measuring this phone. I'm using an objective for river. Uh, there's a phone in front of me on the table. I'm using an object to measure to whatever measurement of this device in front of me because I'm observing that object. It's not actually true because the light from my eyes uh, are sending uh, photons that are changing the actual true measurements. So like measurements in general can't like, I mean, they can be trusted, but like basically on a quantum level, you're what however you're observing things, you're changing it as well. Um, so because I know, because I know this, I would have always said like, of course, fucking light has effect you know uh it has a uh, a momentum attached to it 
but these guys were able to figure it out. I am going to boil it down basically into um, they approved it through this experiment. And what the fucking cool shit about this is uh, some scientists said, what about uh, traveling in space using light waves? Basically a light sail. Um, in trying to figure this out, they proved that light does have a uh, effect on the objects and it has now opened a wave of scientific research towards light sails which will then you know uh, get us to when was this proven uh august 21st was when they uh released the thing um, the breakthrough confirms light possesses momentum, an idea first proposed by a, gr a great German astronomer, uh, Johannes Kepler, in 1619. Kepler surmised that the pressure of the solar rays caused comet tails to always point away from the sun. Don't know why, but that's what he did. In 1873, James Clerk Maxwell a pioneering mathematical physicist, elaborates on this idea, claiming momentum within the electromagnetic fields of light accounted for this particular phenomenon that, that the guy before said. Quote, until now, we ha hadn't determined how this momentum is converted into force or momentum. Kenneth Kahu, Kalu, whatever. Uh, a professor of engineering at the University of Br uh, British Columbia. And, uh, quote, again, because the amount of momentum carried by light is very small, we haven't had equipment sensitive enough to solve it. With help for, of new technology, scientists built a sensor sensitive enough to measure the interaction between photons and matter. First, researchers outfitted a special mirror with a acoustic sensors, Next, the engineers wrapped the mirror in a uh, heath, heath, heath. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess that that's my typo, a heat shield to minimize interference and the background noise. Then scientists shot laser pulses at a mirror and measured the uh, elastic waves rippling off across the face of the mirror. Quote, we can directly measure photon movement. Uh, which photons are so fucking small. Um, it's just before atomic. And uh, so our approach was to detect its effect on the mirror by, quote, listening to the elastic waves that travel through it, uh, said Kahoo. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, dude. I mean, you're never going to listen to this, but I just apologize to you because you're a fucking awesome person. Quote, we were able to trace the features of uh, the features of these waves back to the momentum residing in the light pulse itself, which opens the door finally to defining and modeling how light momentum exists inside materials. This new research described this week by the uh, journal, uh, again, this is in August, um, of uh, Na Nature Communications, could help scientists develop a, ver a variety of light power technologies. Quote, imagine traveling to distant stars on interstellar yachts powered by solar sails, said Kahoo. <laughs> I'm so sorry, dude. Uh, or perhaps here on Earth, developing op optical tweezers that could assemble microscopic machines. 
scientists at NASA and the Planetary Society are, in fact, working on um, solar sail technology. Good way to end that, like, we fucking start this journey 3,000-ish years ago. We find it out for a fact. We get the great measurement a couple hundred years ago. And now we prove that light has effect on the momentum of objects. And we're going to use this information to travel to distant planets or in the solar system itself. Just it to me, uh, what I love about this shit is uh, it makes it makes me reflect upon the world around me um what i'm doing like you know these people are changing the world and and i'm you know it i'm in awe of it uh you know we're going to travel to different planets i i you know i think that at some point within river's life uh she could make the decision to go to another planet and live there um and that's just amazing like from from 3000 years ago to now how far we've come um is just fantastic and like you know the 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 whole journey of this is these guys are doing it with like when fucking aristotle's sitting down looking at this shit writing it out his measurements he's not even using a fucking pencil that like we would have like somebody some well, his fucking buddy made him a pencil to write down on a piece of paper they made. Yeah, everything was made. <laughs> you know, and... There's really something to be said about a time where people had nothing, but they had their ingenuity to make things happen, and now we have everything, and it seems like people fall short. And, like, what the human mind can accomplish with ingenuity and no tools uh, makes me think now um what we can do with tools i just read an article about the crazy fucking tools we have now and wh where it's going um i think about society and i have conversations with friends and stuff about like where we're going as a society and it's always been doom and gloom everybody's always felt that the world was going to end at some point but like this stuff this research this podcast is to reinforce that we are capable of anything we think of. Um, science is the way out. Uh, when I say that, I, I have friends who are religious, and that's I don't mind, and it doesn't bother me, and good for them, I'm happy. But science itself is the way out of any problem. And that's what I'm trying to disseminate down to to river is anything's possible you know with with enough time and ingenuity whatever you fucking come up with in your head uh it can pretty much be done you know i know that's an incredibly broad statement but like i hear consistently because of the political climate now that you know we're in end times no we're fucking not uh we heard the the planet is dying um that's sadly not widely recognized by the lawmakers or society really in general um 
it's dying rapidly and it's going to kill a lot of us with it but through science uh you've heard you heard that one young woman um who uh figured out how to re-enrich soil through waste product of I forget what it was. With the soy. soy when she was using soy and that young man also. You should you should put those clips yeah, on there for real. Any major problem that could potentially destroy us can be figured out with rational uh thinking and and uh logic. Uh that is the greatest tool that anybody has is logic and we can figure out and fix any problem with slowing the fuck down and approaching it from a scientific method angle of coming up with a theory you, i'm gonna put i'm gonna butcher the scientific method but you know coming up with a theory testing it based off of the results changing as a human to uh meet those results michelson didn't want to accept that and his biographer feels as if that is a con con contribution to what killed him or at least led to a painful demise um river i want you to uh come up with theories test them and change based off of the results presented to you and don't get stuck in your ways the bonus episode you hear a grant that said, I'm going to get sober this way. Fuck AA. Fuck God. This is how I'm doing it. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> um, I sat down rationally and logically uh, adapted based off of the data in front of me, and I'm alive and happy because of it. Uh, because... I consider myself a scientist and feel that no matter what uh, is in front of me, I should educate myself and change based off of that. Um, I have a sponsor, an uh, old sponsor whom I have reverence for, but also sadly see him slowly dying and getting worse because he's not adapting and changing to the, to the data at hand. And it's a, a valuable lesson to continue to evolve and seek knowledge. That's my diatribe. Uh, <laughs> would you like to say anything else? I would. Um, I do believe that you should go at things in a, a logical sense. I don't always do that myself, but little lady, you should also be very true to yourself. Talk into the mic. Don't turn your head and talk like that. <laughs> Did you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, just be true to yourself, River. Uh, so next episode is what is light made of? Um, it's mostly researched, so now I'm going to have to put a foot up my ass and finish it. Uh, there will be bonus episodes popping out here and there. We got reading Rainbow for Satan, uh, <laughs> greatest podcast title ever, and uh, other things. Same old Sisyphus shit and, uh, you know, much more. So, and I also found a bunch of incredibly embarrassing recordings that I, I made to you. <laughs> and maybe I'll uh, punch those out on this forum. So I love you forever and always. Good night, sweetheart. <laughs>